Lord, your Holy Spirit gave uh, to, to Moses to write these things down. And Lord, we ask and pray tonight that we as your children through Jesus Christ, that, that we, your church, would have understanding, insight into the knowledge of you, that we would uh, grow and really increase in, in all love and knowledge and discernment of the days in which we're living and exactly how important our obedience is uh, in the day and age that we're living in. And I pray that you would use Deuteronomy 8 to, to spur us on, to, to stir up love and good works in your church. Lord, that we, your people, could live for you, love, serve. I pray that you give us opportunity this week to, to minister the love and truth uh, of Jesus Christ unto those in our lives. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Deuteronomy 8, uh, as we've been going through the studies in Deuteronomy, uh, and I pray that that you have been able to you know keep up with this. I know I realize most of this uh, would be from watching online on the uh, with with the church in Fargo, and because we have not been up here for the Deuteronomy study for quite a few weeks. Um, so one of the things that I, that I really believe the Spirit of God has drawn our attention to this time around is is to really take a look at it by the title that that the book of Deuteronomy is in Hebrew, and the title is words. And why I say that. Uh, it to, to me, it's, it's it has a value in in knowing what we're reading and what we're listening to. And in fact, my first title it was a strange title. That's usually how it works for me. I started out with this title, the the word of the words, and, and this is what it comes down to in chapter eight. Moses reveals. And maybe we don't get many times like this in our Christian experience or our lives. Moses gives the why to 40 years of living in the wilderness for the children of Israel. And and the word is, and again, I'll draw your attention unto this tonight. The word is, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. Now, now for us, that, that's Deuteronomy 8, what is that, 8, 4? If you, if you look closely at that, where, uh, excuse me, 8.3, right? So this place of Moses on, on this side, again, plains of Moab, before they go into the promised land, he describes for those that are alive and have passed through the wilderness, they have seen disobedience and rebellion and death. But those that are alive and remain... God has subjected those that lived unto the conditions of the wilderness. And now God gives word to Moses, and the words of Moses draw everything unto the word of God. Now, from God's perspective, he, again, think of this from his perspective. He gathers his people, Israel, whom he promised unto them to give them this land unto Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He promised them, and he fulfills the promise, and even says to them that he's going to put them into Egypt for 400 years so that they can, if you will, incubate as a nation. You do realize the, the Israelites were an abomination to the Egyptians because they were shepherds because they, they would sacrifice the, the lambs, because they would do that. 
And so they did not intermarry with the Egyptians. They go down 70 people, come out 2 million. Now they were subjected to harsh conditions, slavery and, and various things. And now when they come out, and God's intent for them is to bring them into the promised land, he, because of their rebellion, he corrected their rebellion, and he put them into the wilderness for 40 years in order that they would come to one place between them and their God. Now, valuable. If I come to chapter 8 this way, in the way that it's written, and I listen to the words, and this is why I really like studying it this way, the words that Moses said in chapter 8 is about the word of God. Now, let's pick up the first five verses. I'll read them to you. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live, multiply, and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore unto your fathers. This is about obedience to the word of God. Now, I introduce it this way. It's not a new theme. But by the time we get to chapter 8, Moses' words to the children of Israel say, hey, He's like, you've wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. When you go into the promised land, again, our terminology, obey the word of God. These commands that God has given you are for obedience. Now, good place to be at. Now, verse 2, he says, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all these this way, all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. And look at what he's talking about. To humble you. To test you. Again, the, the King James, I love the King James word there. He says, to prove you. Because we think sometimes a test, and, and our minds are, I don't like tests. But if the test is meant to prove you, then you step up and say what? I, I want to know too. I, I want to be proved. Now, as he says that, test you, humble you, test you. And then this phrase, to know what was in your heart. And this, this to me, this is why it's the words of the word, whether you're going to obey the commandments of the Lord or not. Now, when do you get that? I mean, when it comes down to it, you can sit in the, in the pew Sunday after Sunday, you can read your Bible, and yet there is absolutely no assurance that you will ever go out and obey one of the single commands of God. Now, we don't have a lot of commands, but the commands we have are absolutely wonderful. They're not burdensome. They're hard to do because of our nature, right? It, here's the commands. Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. Do you know that that command is so wonderful to carry out? That when you love other people, you love the body of Christ the way that Jesus loves, it's not burdensome. In fact, it's the most freeing thing to do in the world, except there's this problem between us and God. Our nature. So what does God do about that? Well, God, because of that nature that's in us, what does he do? He sends his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin in the flesh, he does something. He condemns sin in the flesh. Romans 8.3. It's a great verse. I just, I just quoted it to you. On account of sin, he sends forth his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and condemns sin in the flesh. So that in us, Right? The righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in Jesus Christ so we can go forth and walk in obedience to the commands of God. Now, 
Moses, right, his words are going in. Moses is staying on this side, Moab, plains of Moab. But his words go in because the children of Israel take his words and they go in. Think of this. Jesus comes, dies on the cross, rises again, but he gave us his word. What do we hold to? As time progresses, I hold more and more to this, the word. I hold to the word. And it's this. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. He said, if it were not so, I would have told you. And he goes to describe that he's preparing a place. He's, he's preparing our home. And he, and he says, and I, will, and I will be with you always. And then he says, and I'll come back for you. And we hold to this word that when we die in Christ, we, we go to be with him. And we're waiting for all this to be fulfilled. So therefore, while we're here, we just obey the commands, right? And it's great. But again, that nature that's in us, we're prone to disobedience. I don't get it, except I know it to be true, and therefore I get it. I wish it were different, but the truth is, we will be carrying this body of sin around and will always be at this place of crucifying the flesh. I cannot live the Christian life or the life of Christ within me without the cross of Jesus Christ. Now Moses, in, in revealing all this, he describes what God did. And, and I'll simply say this. What Moses reveals under the children of Israel is God is the best heavenly father that the children of Israel could have. Verse 3, he says, He humbled you, all, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of the Lord. Now, look closely in your version into English, and you'll notice the word in 8.3, word is in either brackets or italics. So the word is not actually in, in Hebrew, so it literally reads everything that comes forth from the mouth of God. And this is the place that, that if you catch the context... Glance down with me at the very last verse of Deuteronomy 8. And it's 8.20. So, again, I do this for you. And it's a chapter. You can study it and read it. And you can, you can examine this chapter. Look at 8.20. As the nations which the Lord destroys before you, so you shall perish, because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. I'm here to say in our day and age, what, what is the Lord looking for in those that follow him? What is he looking from us? Is he looking for us to do great things? Is he looking for us to look good? What, what, what is the Lord's requirement? What pleases God? I simply would put this before you. You want to take a shot at it? Obedience. Our obedience to God pleases God. Now, as we unfold this, and again, I think to me, a very, very good passage, right? Excellent passage because when Jesus was water baptized and he goes under the water, John the Baptist, and he comes out of the water and can, well, let's, let's get this in order, that the, the, um, as he comes out of the water, a voice from heaven declares, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Do you know what pleases God? When we live the life of Jesus Christ in us unto obedience in all things that he has commanded, 
all the teachings of Jesus are for us to follow. That's what pleases God. And in that likeness of Jesus in which we are to live and to walk, we know that pleases God. Now something else happens at that water baptism. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove and remains or alights or remains upon Jesus Christ. Now what happens next? He goes out into the wilderness, and if you'll hear it, to humble you, to prove you, to test or to test you, I'll use the, the New King James word, will Jesus obey the commandments or not? Well, what does Satan do? Then we're told the devil comes, and after 40 days of fasting, Jesus was humbled through fasting in the wilderness. You understand that, that Jesus takes this, and, and the Spirit drives him out into the wilderness, and he is in the wilderness, and he is suffering hunger. What did you read? Would, would, God, would God work in such a way in our flesh to bring us to absolutely nothing between us and him that we would make the most important decision? The most important decision is, what, how do I live my life? What's my life about? And what Jesus reveals, he takes Deuteronomy 8. So when Satan comes and says, you're hungry, turn these stones into bread. And what does Jesus answer? He answers Deuteronomy 8.4, or 8.3, excuse me. He answers Deuteronomy 8.3. Man shall not live by bread alone. And, and in saying that to Satan, as the devil tempted him, he's establishing, and, and for us, this to me, Deuteronomy 8, is to establish in our lives why our lives go through what they go through, where he will take us into, if you will, leanness, or he'll humble us. He'll allow things in our lives that bring us to this point that, that we finally say, it is more important for me to, to live in the word of God. My, my family, my work, my marriage, my, my, my why, why I do what I do, it's more important for me to do the word of God than anything else in my life. When it comes down to it, what, it doesn't really matter what kind of food you eat, does it? It, it? These things do not necessarily matter in the whole scope of of this most wonderful truth of what life is all about. And, and if you skip meals, if you if you go hungry, and you trust the Lord and you walk in those things, and you don't have all these things in this world, but you have this most wonderful truth that happens is as I, I want to live in the Word of God. Now, where this, where this happens for me personally and I bring to you tonight is in this realm of uh, I, I'm so thankful that it happened in my life through the course of living life and having, uh, having been saved at about age 16 or 17 with, with really an, an evil plan to live my life before that, however I wanted to live it for pleasures, that when I, after I got saved, I immediately ran away from the Lord. That's not the part I like. But when, when I know the only reason I made it back is because the Lord came and got me. And, when, and how did he do that? By his spirit. And when I returned, you know what brought me back? I opened up the Bible and read the word of God, and I was convicted that I was not right with God. And in turning back to him, and then I started to follow him, and, and then I recognized that he started to show me in my life 
the things that I had been doing, which I thought were what was living, is that I was actually dying spiritually while I was having all these things. Now, I don't want to sidetrack too far into my life except to say, I've been waiting for Deuteronomy 8 every time to teach this chapter because for me, it is that place of recognizing how valuable it is when God will show his children how important it is for them to be in the word of God. And I'm here, I'll just stand up and say it this way. I cannot live my life without the word of God. And that's it. And my passion, my desire, my 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 weakness in flesh, I, I need the word of God in order to live daily life. So many times I, I will wake up, I, I will be a mess as I enter the prayer closet, only to hear the voice of the Lord and bring me back to obedience. Oh, sometimes it might be months that I'm a little out of sorts. I can look back at my notes, I, which I did the last couple months. I'm reading through my, through my journal and I'm praying, and I'm just crying out to the Lord for help. And, and, and then, and then he, he meets that. Now, what he did for Israel, as we really now get into Deuteronomy 8, what did he do for them? Moses' words that describe why they went through what they went through is God tested Israel. He, he brought them out of Egypt where they worshipped, I mean, literally, the gods of this world were worshipped in Egypt. He judged them. He ruled over them. He brings his people out with an intent to bring them in, and they say what to God? They say no. They rebel. They refuse. If they could have turned back to Egypt, they would have done it. If they could have bowed down to another God, they would have done that. That's, isn't that our lives? If we right, were unhindered, we would not turn towards serving God with our whole hearts. Instead, if we were unhindered by anything, what would we turn towards? We would turn towards the works of the flesh. And so God allows suffering, trial. And then this next one, we've got to pick it up here. Even though their, their garments did not wear out, verse 4, <clears throat> their foot didn't swell for 40 years. I mean, God took care of them. And they had not a care in the world for their needs. But then look at 5. You should know in your heart that as the Lord chastens his son, so the Lord God chastens you. I, I just say, again, get familiar. This is the first place it's mentioned. In context of God as Father, chastening the son whom he loves. Book of, book of Proverbs, Proverbs 3. That's the one. We always think Proverbs 3, Oh, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he shall direct your paths. You know what I think is the most important part for me? Proverbs 3 is that the Lord himself loves me, and just as a father corrects the son in whom he delights, so the Lord would chasten and he would correct. And then through that book of Proverbs is this wisdom that describes a child left to himself, his path always leads to destruction. How it is that you beat your child with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. Now, we don't like to use those words, do we? It causes all kinds of trouble in the world because of that word is so misunderstood, the word beat. But very straightforward, has not the Lord in our lives corrected us sorely when we've gone the way of the world or worshiping another God or serving flesh. And that's my testimony. And why I say it this way, because then the word of God 
became those things. And, and where else would you believe it that God loves you and will correct you when you go out of the way? So when I was out of the way for 10 years and I made it back, it wasn't the correction of God that brought me back. It was his loving hand that brought me back. And you know what he did? He lovingly corrected the sin of my life that he would not let me go back those ways again. Did it hurt? Oh, absolutely. Is there pain involved? Yeah, there's, there's that, that hurt, that pain over what... And again, if you listen closely to Christians, that from time to time you will listen closely and they'll say things like, I can't believe I used to do that. When it comes to that place of realizing what has happened. Now for the children of Israel. Again, they're not camping on the plains of Moab so they can think back and dream about the 40 years. Believers, our testimony serves us, right, to keep us from ever going back there. Right? The things that we've been through, the, the, the things that God brought us out of, serves to keep us not to go back, but rather to go forward into the promises of God. Now with that, if, if you just pick it up tonight, the Lord will humble you, he will test you, he will correct you. And if that's all you get out of your relationship with God as a Christian, following Jesus Christ, saved by him, and, and, and following him, and you heard him, and you've heard the voice of the Lord, I'm telling you tonight, tune your ear to this truth that says, I, in my flesh, I will be humbled. I know I'll be corrected. I will be tested. Now, let's go here. Jesus is tempted by the devil in, in in the wilderness. But really, as he's tempted by the devil, he's actually proving that he is the Son of God. You you catch this. So Satan says, if you are the son of God, and Jesus simply, by obeying his father's voice in heaven, pleasing God, he proves he's the son of God. So he passes the test. Hey, when we choose, when we choose the word of God, opportunity presents itself to take the shortcut and enjoy this pleasure now. Think about it for a young man. Right? Who, who desires to, to have a wife one day, desires to experience all those things. And what does Satan do? He says, well, you just, just take this woman right in front of me. You don't need to marry her. You don't need to do that. And, he, and for a woman who desires to be loved, she says, well, just go get a man now. Satan's always right there to give the shortcut rather than for us to walk in righteousness and to have that way before us. And that's just one example. Think about stealing. What is stealing anyway? Stealing is taking something which doesn't belong to you because you want it and you don't want to work to get the money nor save the money to get that which you should pay for. And what does Satan do? Just take it. And you see, again, you can go through every one of the commandments and it reveals the righteousness of God. Now, all that to say this. Okay, all that to say this. Have you reached the point in your life that you make the decision and say, I have to live according to the word of God? I can't go another way. How are you when you tell a lie? Because Christians lie, right? How do I know Christians lie? I have lied as a Christian. Now, how long can you sit in something? Oh, I can still sit in things for a while. Right? I can cover something up for a while. Can you? Right? And then you realize at some point as you continue, one of these, one of these two things are going to happen. Sin is going to keep you from the Bible. Or 
the Bible is going to keep you from sin. Why, why do I need to be in the Word of God all the time? Okay, and I'm aware of the stats. I know that on average, most Christians don't read their Bibles. The majority don't read. And I don't say those things. I don't say those things to, to get you to read. I don't, I don't read the stats for that reason. But it tells me something. What we're talking about in Deuteronomy 8, why Jesus has such a success against Satan himself, the devil himself tempting Jesus, and how he was able to hold to the word of God. Every time he was tempted, he answered with the book of Deuteronomy. It had reached that understanding in such a way that says, this is the word of God. Now, don't think you're not tempted because Jesus, he actually was tempted in all ways as we are and yet without sin. And here Moses is giving these words for the children of Israel. Now let's look at, I think it's 6 through 17 here. They're going forward. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. All that is for us as Christians is we walk in the word of God and walk in the ways of Jesus in righteousness. Now, when you do that, it goes well. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, fountains and springs that flow out of the valleys and hills. Hey, after 40 years of looking at nothing but rocks and dry rocks, only one rock had water come out of it, right? That's what he promised. And But he's taken him into a land of wheat and barley, vines, fig trees, pomegranates, land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you'll eat bread without scarcity. You'll lack nothing. A land in whose stones are iron and out of the hills you can dig copper. And then look at 10. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. You can look at this and you can look at America in the way that the gospel and those that followed God, how this formed. And while we were hungry, needy, look at the place of of following Jesus Christ in, in a young nation and the hunger for those that, I want to serve God. And how many missionaries we sent out. And, and how many people would, would attend church and, and seek the Lord and trust God. And when they suffered, they would pray. And they would not, right, turn aside to the things of the world. And now you look, guys, we're, we're at this point where America's full, right? And, and America's not blessing God anymore. Now, why do I say that? The children of Israel, they were warned ahead of time. There comes a point for all of us as believers where we either are going to hold to the word of God, even when we're full and God has given us these things in our lives. And the word was to bless God. Now, 11 comes with the warning. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments. So when they're full... When they enter into the land, they have everything that they need. They're no longer hungry. They're no longer suffering. And, and there's this warning. Don't forget the Lord your God. Don't forget his commandments. What, what, what's happened to many believers as, as they've had everything they've wanted and needed? They get full and they forget God. And they don't walk in his commandments anymore. His statutes and his judgments which were commanded to them. And C12, lest... When you have eaten and are full and built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and your herds and your flocks multiply, your business booms, 
Okay, I'll, I'll throw another one in there. Your church blooms. How many people have stumbled and fall at this most horrible thing for a Christian called success? More have stumbled and fell in their walk with the Lord over success than have ever walked away from the Lord in the midst of failure. And that's what he warns the children of Israel. You go in and you have all this success. He says, beware. Why? Well, look at 14. When your heart is lifted up. The sin of pride. When your heart is lifted up. I don't know how many pastors can handle the success of instant feedback that social media provides. I don't know how many teachers can handle 250,000 people are listening to me every week. How many can handle the... The, I, I'm influencing, I have, I have, I mean, I, I don't know if you've seen it. Some of those worship songs that have been put on YouTube by, by various Christian artists, 30 million views. What does that do to, what does that do to that person who says, wow, I have 30 million record sales. Now, I, again, I only illustrate this with what's going on in the world to show you well, what did, what did he do? I humbled you. I tested you. I allowed you to hunger when you had nothing. So you, in the midst of nothing, you would come to this decision, which is, I can only live by the word of God. Now, what happens for many believers and churches and, again, things, successful things? What happens? Forget the word of God and start to live another way. Why is it that psychology and the philosophies and Eastern mysticism and false teachings, why has the church embraced all these things? Well, we're fat and lazy and the Word of God no longer hungry for that, no longer desperate for the need of the Word of God in our personal lives. So what do we do? Can you, can you give me something new to talk about? Can you give me another teaching? And that's the warning. When your heart is lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. What does Peter say? Peter describes that, that if we do not hold to this, this place, we can even forget that we've been cleansed from our past sins. How valuable is it to remember what you really are? Well, when do you find out what you really are? I find out what I really am no matter what's going on in the world when I go into that closet that the Lord gave me and I shut the door behind me and I open up the word of God and I say, Lord, search my heart. And you know what I find out there? What I'm really like. You can read through one of the simple commands of Jesus and let that search your heart. And you say what? Lord, I'm not what I ought to be. But if your heart is lifted up and you no longer need the Bible, you, you no longer let the word of God search you. In fact, then you start to criticize what well, I don't like that version. Or, I like how it sounds better over here. And we start to lift up our hearts. We forget that we were saved out of the pit. And then the idea that he led them through the wilderness. And again, look at this. Moses just uses a couple things. Terrible wilderness, fiery serpents. Just That one alone should, should cause them to shiver, right? They were bit by poisonous snakes. Why? Because they were complaining against God. And then scorpions. And then a thirsty lamb where there was no water. And he brought water out of the rock for you. I mean, at some point, we need to remember what God has done in our lives. 
And then he says, he fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know. You catch the repetition here? So you remember this. And why did God feed them with manna? Right? That he might humble you and he might test you. And then he adds something here. And, and this, this probably got me the most by the time I got through this in Deuteronomy. God desires to do good in, in the end. You know what that teaches you? What it teaches me? All the correction, the chastening, all the trials, all the suffering, God has in view your life in doing you good. And in doing that, we would never arrive at that because as we would walk in this life, we would lift up our hearts, we'd be exalted, we would think we're better than we really are. And, and he reminds them, and then this reminder for us, we're not that great. God is great in our lives. The good that he has planned for us. And through that, if you, if you could stick a pin from this side of eternity and you could stick a pinhole in to see the glory that's coming. If you just got a glimpse, and I believe the Bible gives that to us. Ephesians talks about the riches of glory in his mercy that he has intended and planned for his saints. God desires good for you in the end. And in, in revealing that to the children of Israel, again, and I'll remind you, it helps us endure in this world in faith of Jesus Christ. And that's what it comes down to, enduring faith. Now, verse 17, as we really wrap up here with the last four verses of Deuteronomy 8, then you say in your heart, my power and might of my hand have gained me this wealth. Very simple, right? Me, my, I, I did this. And you shall remember that the Lord your God, it is he who gives you power to get wealth. <coughs> that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers uh, as it is this day. Then it shall be, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. Now Jesus out in the wilderness, right? The devil comes to him, tempts him, right? To do one thing, to bow down and worship Satan. He gives him the shortcut to the kingdom. If you understand that. He shows him the kingdoms of the world and says, if you bow down and worship me, you can have them all. And what does Jesus say? It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Do you realize that it's already in Deuteronomy 8, the warning that if their hearts are lifted up and they forget the Lord and, and what would happen is they would bow down and follow and worship other gods. Now, don't you love what happens in the wilderness for the Lord? And here's how I phrase it to you tonight. You will be humbled, you will be tested, you will be tempted by the enemy to sin, you will be chastened by God, you are warned against the sin of pride. Is that the big sin? It is the big sin. It really is. When our hearts are lifted up, pride's the big sin. You're warned about all that. And, and in all that, I, I simply say this to you. The children of Israel serve as an example of rebellion. And what happens for rebellious Christians? They may spend 40 years of their Christian experience out in the wilderness. 
Hey, do you understand when Paul takes the man who was in sin with the church of Corinth and says, put him out of the body, right? And said that his, right, that his body can be destroyed, but that his soul can be saved. He hands him over to Satan. He wants to sin, let him go do it. Let, him, let Satan destroy his body so that he can actually come to the place and say, I, I need the Lord again. Now, he doesn't need to get saved again, does he? And as I say that unto you, do you know that if somebody wants to sin as a Christian, what's the best thing you can do for them? Right? And you've, you can't convince them to turn them back, and they're going to go do it any, anyway. What can you say? Go do it. Do it quickly. Get it over with. You, want, you think that you can go and serve and worship the flesh? Get it over with. But if you hold that in church and keep it there and think that that's okay, and you'd be very honest with them and say, it is not okay what you're doing. But if you're going to do it, go do it. You can't be here and do that. Now, why do I, why do I live that way? Because it's the Word of God. And, and what I would hand off to you here, we, we don't, again, think this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So that's why in, under the New Covenant you see clearly it, it, isn't, it isn't equivalence he warns them that they will perish like the other nations. Now, our simple thing is this. What business do we have living like the unbeliever? And this is what, this is what the Bible reveals. What business do we who have Jesus Christ, what, what vanity it would be for us to chase the futile things down of the unbelievers and how they live? We have no business living that way. And then it brings us to 20. And the nations which the Lord destroys before you. And here we are. We are living in the days in which the Bible has revealed in the book of Daniel, in his vision he saw a stone cut out of the mountain, not made by hands, and it struck the image in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. The kingdoms of this world. And when that stone, again, it's, it's, it's the rock. And we know the rock. The kingdom that's coming is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God will strike the kingdom of man at its feet in the time frame when the revived Roman Empire will form again and, and at that point where the kingdom of, of, of the earth will seek to hold together part brittle, part strong, ten toes. And it's the kingdom of Jesus, right? The kingdom of God with the Messiah to rule and reign on the earth will come and put an end to the kingdom of man. He'll destroy the nations that are against him. So if you just read this with me in Deuteronomy 8, before they go in, this is why the days we live in are so exciting in regards to the kingdom of God that's coming on the earth. His promise to them was to take them into the, into the promised land and destroy all those kingdoms that were in the, in, the, in the promised land. And he would destroy them before them. And, and it simply was at that place of the warning for them to serve and follow the Lord, to be obedient unto the voice of the Lord their God. Now, what, what's our best course of action right now? Obey the voice of the Lord. Think of the last thing you know the Lord said to you. Obey the voice of the Lord. Can you hear the Spirit? Again, you, read, you read Revelation 2 and 3, the letters to the churches. As a believer, do you open up your ears and say, Lord, which church am I? Have I left my first love? Can, 
Think of all those things where you're reading the Word of God. And and this is my thing. In the days in which we're living, the judgment is coming. How many Christians, right, are not even interested in obeying the voice of the Lord right now? But they're interested in all the things that the world is doing. And my word to us, right, I'm not saying those Christians aren't going to perish. I'm not saying they're not going to heaven. I'm not saying that. But what what I am saying is, is that their lives are not bearing fruit and they're not fulfilled. They're not in the promised land. They're going to remain out in the wilderness and, and where, where their lives are, because of disobedience, never enter into the blessing and the promises of spirit-filled living. Now, that's my plea for us. And, and where it comes down to is this one simple thing. I cannot live apart from the Word of God. And when I hear what God says to me in His Word, I want to obey that. And that, that's, that's where I want to live. Now, you do realize people are are suffering and dying all around us. And we hold, right, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have the power of God unto salvation for eternal life for those who believe. And our Lord is not willing that any should perish, but desiring that all would come to repentance. Now, I I really didn't have a way to, to wrap this up at this point, other than to say this. When you have gone through trials and suffering and it sorted you out and sifted you all out just between you and the Lord and you reach that point where you said, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. Let that serve you tonight to remember that time and, and let that hold you in the word of God and with anticipation on a daily basis, seek him out in the word and say, Lord, what do you have me to do today? Open up your heart before him. Let the word search you out and obey him in his word and let that serve the pleasing. Uh, really, I, again, I think the way I'd say it, the effect of the chastening is to bring about a peaceable fruit of righteousness in our lives. I, I, I can't live a different life than the one that he has given me to live, even how many people try to live a different life. The world right now is going crazy over over God's choosing their gender. Right? They're going crazy over what God has chosen in their natural bodies. They're fighting against God. And I simply say, when we bow the knee, when we surrender, we submit, and and we, we simply trust and love and walk in the Word of God, we're the only ones that have help and hope and answers for people who have a, an unbelieving mind, but we have been given the mind of Christ. <clears throat> so may this happen for you. The Word of God. Like food, or this, better than food. <clears throat> you know that I eat the Word of God before I ever eat any food on a daily basis. My first thing that I do is get up, right, and I partake of the Word of God. All that is to be for you, not not to say anything that I am, but simply to say this. That's my recommendation to you. Get up, open up your Bible, and get in the Word of God and listen to the Spirit of God. Because do you know the day when Satan's going to come to you and tempt you to say, it's all over, do it this way, do it that way? 
How many have sought for answers in the wisdom and philosophies and things of man? How many have sought for something else? And here we have it. It's in the Word of God. Ask those in your lives whose lives are suffering and trials and falling apart and just say, have you come to the place where you you have to live by the Word of God? And if, if you can turn one person to the Word of God in their lives, I believe that it's the Word of God that's changed my life. I believe it's the Word of God that's changed everyone who's followed Him. It's not... Right? It's not the songs, the style, the, the, the where you attend church. It's none of the it's not a, he, he separates all that out so that we would know man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So we thank you, Lord, for Jesus. We thank you for Deuteronomy eight. And I pray that it works for us, Lord, a great desire for obedience to your word that your spirit would be given unto us and and there would be an obedience to the spirit in our lives. And this I pray in Jesus' name, amen.